say particularly in alternative investments there's a very broad spectrum of what you could do uh, in sustainable investing uh, and new ones are evolving all the time. Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Velkova, your regular host, and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. In October 2022, the FCA published a consultation paper with a number of proposed measures aimed at tackling greenwashing, the so-called sustainability disclosure requirements and investment labels. As the title alludes, the paper also included the introduction of new sustainable investment labels, disclosure requirements, and restrictions on the use of sustainability-related terms in product naming and marketing. GFCA has stated that it is concerned that firms are making exaggerated or misleading sustainability-related claims about their investment products, claims that don't stand up to scrutiny in the regulator's view, and that this may lead to consumer harm and erode trust in the market for sustainable investment products. The consultation period closed on 25th of January 2023, with the final rules expected by end of June this year. Clearly, the industry's response will be critical in formulating the final rules, and so has the FCA confirmed. So to discuss the reactions of the market, impact on businesses and wider feedback, I have invited two industry experts to share their views. It is my pleasure to first welcome Sarah Woodfield from Shoulders. Sarah is an active ownership manager and is responsible for engagement with issuers on biodiversity, natural capital and sovereign engagement. Prior to this, Sarah worked at the Investment Association, where she was in charge for stewardship and corporate governance policy. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Nice to be here, Irina. We also joined by Kate Bowden, who is an Associate Director, Markets, Governance and Innovation at the Alternative Investment Management Association. Prior to joining AMA, Kate was a Senior Policy Advisor at the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association, working on a range of policy issues, including pensions tax relief. Great to have you with us, Kate. Thanks. It's good to be here. Now, Let's dive straight into the conversation. Obviously, I just mentioned the consultation on SDR closed just over a month ago. Perhaps a good starting point would be if you, Kate, can share your impressions as to what was the feedback coming from AMA members and and from your conversations with them, if you like. Yeah, happy to. Um, So I would say generally uh, our members were quite open to the labels. Um, So in our response, we were quite positive. Um, but also highlighted areas for improvements and kind of areas of difficulty as well with the labels. Um, I should note at this point uh, as well that our members won't necessarily have retail funds, so the consultation uh, isn't always as applicable, um, but they're still interested in the detail as they might be take up in the future. Um, And there's also might be pressure from institutional investors to categorise funds in this way, even if not captured directly by the regulations. Um, And this is something that we've seen with SFDR as well. And in terms of feedback uh, that we've heard, um, there's been a lot around the importance of allowing for flexibility in the labels uh, and when setting out approaches. Um, So as you know, uh, the sustainable investing market is highly dynamic. um, And while there may be certain characteristics which can be associated with sustainable investing strategies, um, the reality is there is quite a broad, broad spectrum of approaches. Uh, And I would say particularly in alternative investments, there's a very broad spectrum of what you could do uh, in sustainable investing Uh, and new ones are evolving all the time, um, like sustainability linked derivatives and bonds and all that areas. Um, So given how dynamic the market is, 
there were concerns that taking an approach which sets out explicit criteria uh, could risk them becoming rapidly outdated and um, therefore any regulation uh, in particular the sustainable investment labels needs to balance clear requirements while also allowing for innovation in the market um, and that's something we raised in our response and um, we also highlighted uh, the importance of ensuring that re the regime remains fit for purpose uh, and is reflective of the involving market practices as i said and um, another area of feedback that we had a lot around um, was around how the disclosure regime and the labels interact with SFDR uh, and other regimes, um, for example, in the US, once those are finalised. Um, and in particular, there were concerns around the naming rules uh, and marketing rules uh, and making sure they didn't conflict with SFDR. Um, as you can imagine, it would be definitely suboptimal to get into a position where firms would need to produce different pre-contractual and periodic disclosures for different jurisdictions um, for a number of reasons. One of those just being additional burden on firms. Um, so it'd be definitely uh, beneficial to have some convergence in those areas. And I think we'll probably go on to discuss that in a bit more detail, but that's definitely uh, kind of one of the main areas we had. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, I, do, I was planning on to bring the, the actual alignment to other regimes, so um, just later in the conversation, perhaps. And, and Sarah, I know you were leading Shoulder's response and the consultation, and, and I guess without getting into sort of any, any sensitive detail or anything confidential, what were the sticking points for you as a firm? Obviously, Kate mentioned a lot of, a lot of points around um, flexibility and around making sure that the requirements are reflective of the dynamic market. How did you, how did you take on that? Yeah, I would really echo a lot of the points that, that Kate was making there, particularly around flexibility. So I think in general, um, Schroeder's, we're really supportive of the, the thrush and actually the ambition of FCA's proposals here that we recognise has been a real explosion in demand for sustainable products in recent years and a real explosion in product development and innovation to meet that demand. So it's really critical that when we're thinking about this very fast changing landscape that consumers are being provided with the right information to make really well informed investment decisions. You know, so and it's a really substantial package, so it's, it doesn't just include the labels. Kate mentioned also um, the, the naming and marketing rules. We've also got an anti-greenwashing rules, um, further kind of firm level sustainability disclosure requirements, kind of analogous to TCFD. So, I, you know, as, when you look at it as a complete package, I think it's going to really help to formalise and provide a bit more rigour um, for firms to be able to kind of better articulate what their sustainability credentials actually are um, and actually be how to account to them um, but by the consumers that are investing in their products. Just picking up on that point around kind of flexibility though, um, yeah completely agree so um, this is a really fast moving space in terms of demand, innovation in new products on offer but also actually in terms of the empirical information available about out there about what does good sustainability look like? There's a lot of scientific developments happening very fast in this space, um, but also in terms of data availability from companies um, as we start to see kind of more rigorous standards being applied to um, companies and the sustainability information that they're providing. Um, so what's really important then is that as the FCA are looking to kind of finalise these roles, um, is that they, they have that flexibility in mind because that will facilitate better innovation, kind of more capital allocation towards sustainable outcomes. Um, and actually, I think really cement the UK's position as a, as a leader in sustainable finance. Um, 
just looking at the kind of overall kind of labels um kind of framework i think you know the the concept of having focus improvers and impact i think will broadly really resonate with with consumers and, and we can come into that in a little bit more detail um a bit later i think we have asked for a few areas of clarification and we we have challenged uh you know a few areas of the proposals and i think one one area that is is really important to us is actually um for the fca to to look a bit more closely about the implications of their proposals for, for multi-asset or fund-of-fund products. Um, we know that a lot of retail investors are um, invested in a way um, which helps them to manage risk. So they're diversifying the assets that they're investing in, they're diversifying through actually investing in a range of different funds. Some of the proposals may have been set up a bit more with a kind of a, a bit more of a simple structure, so a kind of listed equity, um, a single fund kind of structure in mind. And what we really want to make sure is that actually these proposals work, um, you know, for, uh, you know, a common kind of product um, archetype, which is through kind of fund and funds multi-assets, which a lot of retail investors look to invest through. Yeah, sounds there's still further work to be done in terms of it, when the rules are finalised to actually reflect the complexity of the market, but also, as we talked about, the actual um, dynamic developments in the market as well. And, and you both touched on the labels already. Um, I was going to delve in to try and understand what um, what views you came across, I guess, in your interactions with other firms, but also, of course, in your own house, Sarah, um, as to what was the, the kind of overall impression in terms of the actual criteria that were proposed by DFCA. And I guess you kind of touched on that, Tara, as well already, but, um, you know, a little bit more detail in terms of kind of how, how firms can go about it to interpret it is going to be really helpful. Yeah, so um, the FCA's proposals in terms of the labelling requirements involve three kind of broad categories. So we've got um, sustainable focus, sustainable improvers um, and sustainable impacts. And, and they're quite clear, actually, that these aren't supposed to be hierarchical. So they're not actually supposed to be different shades of green, um, as it were, but more that they're kind of sitting on a different level playing field and enabling consumers to select um, a fund with a label which kind of best meets their kind of priorities and their investment objectives. Um, and, and actually, I think one thing we were really pleased with when we see, saw the proposals come out was this um, focus on active ownership. Um, and actually, that's in, when you compare the UK and, and the EU regime, I think that's a key differentiator, which is actually really important. So not look, just looking at you know, what are the sustainability of your assets today, but what are the, what could they be tomorrow? And what are the inputs that asset managers can, can put into that to support that transition over the long term? And that could be capital kind of um, investment strategies um, to transition towards a more sustainable future, but it can also actually be the active ownership role um, that asset managers are playing um, through their stewardship um, of the companies that they're invested in. So we were really pleased to see that improver category kind of in the mix um, because we think that um, is really critical if you if you want to look at the economy-wide changes which are needed to, to support a sustainable transition. Um, uh, that being said, we think that um, you know that label currently has has potentially some of the most kind of challenges associated with it and perhaps needs just a little bit of um, redefining um, just so that we're being really clear with the market as to if we say that something is uh, sustainable improvers, what does that actually mean? 
Um, what you want to avoid is a situation where it becomes a bit of a wash up exercise um, for uh, funds which don't quite meet the, the, the very high kind of 70% um, threshold for sustainable focus in terms of proportion of sustainable assets, don't necessarily meet um, you know, the very high bar for sustainable impact in terms of um, additionality, which is obviously a key focus there. Um, and then, then therefore they kind of just get washed up into this broad brush sustainable improver category. Uh, we think that wouldn't be a great outcome for consumers because, um, but we, we do think there is an opportunity there instead to really focus on really strong active ownership strategies with a really clear escalation framework in mind with the ultimate kind of backstop being making investment decisions if you're not seeing the improvement um, in the companies that you're invested in to facilitate that transition. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would, I would absolutely agree. I think this is definitely the category that you're talking about, the improver category, where there is perhaps the biggest potential for any sort of greenwashing happening. And I think we are at risk of a sort of um, stocking a lot of kind of uh, investments into that category with the uh, with the best intention to invest in transition and actually nothing happens and nothing improves uh, with a number of years ahead. And I think there's a high risk that has to be considered here um, by the FCA when they come up with the final rules. But Kate, from your perspective, I guess, and from your uh, from the interaction with your members, I guess you kind of mentioned that it was broadly positive sort of feedback on the labels. Um, but ha were there any sort of concerns raised by, by your members? Yeah, it might actually be good to start with the sustainable improvers one, because I think we have a slightly different view maybe uh, to traders just because of the kind of different backgrounds of the investment strategies that are, uh, a lot of our members do. And it was kind of highlighted that active ownership isn't always easy to do, um, depending on kind of the nature of what you're doing. So if you have kind of passive funds or high frequency or ergo trading, and um, a lot of the private credit side, uh, where you may not have as much interaction once you've made the initial investment, kind of hard to prove uh, what you're doing on the engagement side. Um, but we, we kind of felt that that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to have a sustainable improvers category because obviously a lot of the fun, uh, firms or companies you're investing in within that will be transitioning. Um, so I think there's definitely still something to think through um, on that. But I, I completely take your points on kind of not having that as almost like a greenwashing one where everything goes in that maybe doesn't meet those high standards. Um, and obviously having active ownership is a way to prove that that's happening but um, I think kind of more thought around that in terms of what stewardship means um, when you're doing those other kind of investment strategies um, is kind of a, a challenging area that still needs to be looked at and um, another point on that that we had is in terms of the time frames of those changes um, so you know for certain Investments having just kind of a year to look at the engagement and change within that, uh, it may be a lot longer that you actually see impact on the company. So um, making sure that that's taken into account as well. Um, and then kind of more widely uh, on the sustainable, sustainable focus label, uh, we kind of noted quite a few challenges around the 70% threshold and calculation of that. Um, so I think, again, particular challenges for kind of hedge funds and alternative investments as well. And um, for example, we asked for more guidance or clarification on how you calculate that 70% when you have kind of cash instruments, derivatives, use of leverage um, or borrowing in short positions. And um, that's 
a lot of the kind of sustainable um, regulation, including the SFDR, don't really account for those at the moment, which is challenging. Um, I think also there are particular challenges for closed-ended funds and funds with a fixed lifespan in terms of when to calculate that percentage threshold. Um, so where you have kind of illiquid investments, including private equity funds, infrastructure funds, real estate funds, uh, where you will have kind of like ramp up, ramp down uh, periods of investment. And um, what does that mean? What, what, where are you taking that percentage commitment? Um, and lots of things like that. So yeah, I think there's definitely areas to kind of go back to uh, and kind of think through uh, in a bit more detail of what it means for those kind of areas. Thanks to the FCA, still got quite a lot of work to do in terms of addressing yeah. all this feedback. I can imagine that you've incorporated all of that in your feedback. And it seems to be the case that indeed it does require a little bit more thinking, particularly when it comes to the alternative industry, because I think um, Sarah's point was right. This was sort of kind of uh, perhaps designed in a little bit of a more simplistic kind of structures um, compared to what you both actually have to deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> Um, another point that was kind of already touched upon so far um, is kind of the alignment to other regimes and clearly the FCA's proposals differ quite significantly, uh, particularly in some areas compared to um, other regimes and the UK for example has been designing this as obviously a labelling regime with sort of detailed criteria to determine eligibility. Whereas obviously the EU SFDR and the SEC um, proposals in the US have been designed as disclosure regimes. Um, useful or hindering, you think, is this divergence of approach um, in your view, I guess. Um, Sarah, maybe you first. Thanks, Rina. Yeah, so we were looking at the proposals um, from the perspective of a global firm. Um, we offer a range of different uh, sustainability products in different jurisdictions um, and and global clients as well. Um, so obviously ensuring alignment where possible with global standards is is really important to us. This enables us to leverage economies of scale, um, but also local expertise actually to to deliver um, you know the the right investment products for for our clients. Um, I think one thing that's really important here is that you know you can compare SFDR to, to SDR and, and to the US's SEC proposals um, and but they are all, all actually starting from slightly different starting points um, in terms of the overall intention and so we would expect to see divergence as, as a result of that so um, some of the proposals are more focused on capital allocation, some of them are more around um, robust disclosure, some of them are more focused on ensuring that consumers have the right inf information they need to make investment decisions. And so it's it's kind of easy when we stop um, comparing these regimes to start kind of blurring together those different objectives. I think for us, one of the kind of key sticking points that we need to think about um, as a global firm is not ending up in a in a world where we're marketing um, a, a fund in one regime is sustainable, um, but we're marketing um, uh, the fund with a parallel investment strategy in another jurisdiction um, as as not meeting sustainability kind of requirements in that jurisdiction. I think that's a very confusing outcome for consumers, um, given that it is um, may be the same kind of underlying uh, parallel in investment strategy. Um, and and I think that's an area that um, you know regulators around the world need to work really closely together to avoid. 
Now, obviously, when we're looking at these proposals, we don't yet have in place um, the FCA's um, firm proposals around an overseas um, fund regime. And what does this mean um, for um, overseas funds who, who want to market um, their fund range into the UK? And, and that's a really important piece of, of the jigsaw puzzle, which, which is missing at this point in time. So it's hard to kind of tell at this point, what will this operationally mean for us when, when we're looking at um, how we market those sustainable funds. But again, something really important for the FCA to think about when um, it's finalising its rules, because they, you know, they do have an objective to ensure the competitiveness um, you know, of the UK financial services industry. Um, so they need to have that kind of front in mind when, when they develop those, those proposals further. Yeah, and I was I was thinking exactly the same, actually. It's a point around competitiveness. And you can argue on the other side of the uh, Atlantic, I guess Sam would argue that the slightly less robust regime in the US is a sort of a huge competitive advantage, despite some sort of SEC proposals. Um, and then, of course, you do have the consumers in the, in the UK, which actually are looking for a bit more robust regimes. So are we actually reflective of that with, with sort of the rules that we're having here at the minute or proposals rather? So I think it's, it needs a very, very careful consideration as to how competitiveness plays into that. Um, and, and Kate, I guess from your perspective, ha has there been any sort of... Um, strong views, I guess, or have there been any strong views on on the particular misalignment, lack of alignment, or not so much when alignment, I guess, with other regimes? Yeah, definitely. I think as well, it may be helpful to say that I think it's helpful that SDR and the proposals do have a kind of a base in TCFD and ISSB um, disclosures. Uh, we are quite supportive of that because I think it's important to leverage what's happening kind of the international frameworks um, and hopefully through that you will kind of get more uh, convergence. Uh, we did raise this issue uh, of kind of the misalignment was with SFDR um, and something that we suggested the FCA could look into is having a policy of recognition uh, with the EU and US regimes um, to allow tolerance in these areas. Um, for example, we think it would be beneficial for the FCA to confirm that where a UK firm makes disclosures to investors, uh, which is required in another regime, so for example, uh, the pre-contractual periodic disclosures and SFDR, that the, such disclosure wouldn't breach the FCA naming rule or anti-greenwashing rule. I think that kind of goes to Sarah's point about if you're marketing to lots of different region, regions, what you're allowed to say in one compared to not allowed to say in another um, you don't want to kind of kind of fall foul of those rules in the different jurisdictions. Um, and I think more generally, you will probably see more convergence uh, between the EU and the FCA uh, regimes. Um, so obviously the FCA regime has a combination of disclosure and voluntary labels, which I think is a good approach to have. Uh, and I think it's likely that SFDR probably will go down uh, this road as well. Um, so we are expecting a review later this year. And I think we've already seen, you know, from the ESMA consultation on fund names, uh, they're already considering kind of minimum thresholds uh, for funds using ESG related or sustainability related uh, terms in their name, um, that you probably will see a bit more convergence around this um, in the future. So it'd be interesting to see how that kind of plays out and whether those kind of thresholds that they're setting uh, will converge in the future. 
Yeah, and I hope the names are not totally different to what the FCA came up with, because that's going to be really confusing for consumers indeed. It's going to be really tricky to try and figure out what fits where, etc. But yeah, certainly one area to observe, and I do hope that indeed uh, in practice there will be more convergence. I'll be very surprised if the FCA actually agrees to go with some sort of a, a lower, if you like, type of or slightly smaller scope of um, disclosures, if you like, versus its own regime. But let's see, maybe, maybe. Um, the I, I kind of introduced the the, the whole uh, consultation paper with the attempts, if you like, to try and tackle greenwashing, and that certainly has been at the heart of the paper and, and definitely what the FCA has been trying to achieve and saying. So, uh, and I guess, how much difference do you think the actual marketing rules are going to to make uh, or to have in practice versus what we already have in terms of avoiding greenwashing? Maybe Katie, this time first. Yeah, happy to go. I, I, I think, again, it's important to say that greenwashing is a really important area to look at and I think we're happy that the FCA um, is taking a look at this issue. Uh, before going into the marketing rule uh, in more detail, I, I just wanted to touch on kind of greenwashing more generally and, and kind of some of our views on it. So I think it is helpful to kind of have set criteria and clear rules around expectations around marketing and um, to avoid intentional greenwashing. Um, but something that we kind of talk uh, about a lot and it's kind of talked more widely is that there is a difference between intentional and unintentional greenwashing. Um, and it's something that kind of we've highlighted uh, in kind of calls for evidence about greenwashing is that there is a risk that regulation, if not well crafted, can actually lead to kind of poor clarity for investors and kind of unintentionally you get a greenwashing from that. And um, so kind of if policymakers decide to implement prescriptive regulatory frameworks and um, it needs to be comprehensive and well designed. And we've already talked uh, a bit in our previous responses about how maybe there's not clarification about how you uh, label things or calculate those 70 percent uh, threshold figures. And um, and if it's left up to firms to decide what they consider to kind of be sustainable or not. Um, and it doesn't meet regulators' expectations, um, that could lead to greenwashing. And it's also something we've seen in SFDR with lack of clarity around the definition of sustainable investment. And we're also hearing uh, kind of more and more that there's some cases that firms uh, are kind of worried about uh, falling foul of greenwashing rules. So they may actually underplay sustainability considerations in their reporting, and um, as they don't want the risks associated with that. Uh, so I think that's also something important to think about. Um, but on the proposed marketing rule, um, we did have a few concerns from members. I think given the link to the labels um, and kind of they do set quite a high bar, uh, there may be a lot of firms won't be able to reach. and there's basically concerns around if you have sustainability related investment policies or strategies, but you don't meet those levels and you don't qualify for a label and um, you may kind of fall foul of the rules. So there were concerns around if you have exclusion policies or you integrate ESG into your processes, but don't qualify for a label, kind of how far can you go in explaining what you're doing, describing what you're doing without falling foul of those marketing and naming rules? Um, so we did ask for more guidance and detail around that. And then just on the anti-greenwashing rule that uh, the FCA proposed, um, again, we understand the reasoning behind this, um, but we 
I'm not sure how much of a kind of what the practical impact will be on greenwashing. And um, given that there are kind of existing requirements already placed on regulated firms to be clear, fair and misleading. Um, so I'm not sure if that will have a, a massive impact, but there's definitely, I think, more to think about in the marketing rules that they've put forward and how that interacts um, with what firms are doing. Yeah, I think it certainly sets the FCA's intention very clear to really, for, for, for firms, this to be at the heart of what they do and really think carefully about it, which I think is perhaps what their overall intention has been to, in the sense of raising its profile. What do you think, Sarah? I mean, how, how was that perceived through others? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one and, you know, completely echoes, you know, the points that Kate was making around, you know, it, it, it is a risk that consumers will be misled by um, some overinflated kind of claims um, that have been made while this, you know, industry has kind of exploded. And, and so it is really important that we think about thoughtful kind of proportionate regulation, which, you know, tries to address that risk. Um, I, on that point around the, the marketing rules specifically, um, uh, one of the things that you know we, we've kind of articulated in in our response is that there may be situations where you you don't qualify, you don't want to actually market yourself as a label, but you may be doing sustainability related things as a core part of your investment strategy that you actually need to be able to describe in a balanced, proportionate way to consumers. Otherwise, you actually may not be giving them the whole picture around how you're managing risk on their behalf. And so I think there's a difference there between, you know, take the term ESG integration, for example, it gets, it gets bandied around a lot. Um, being able to describe, well, what does that mean for your firm and how do you integrate? You know, what are the processes and governance that you have in place to ensure that you're integrating well? Um, actually being able to describe that to consumers um, in your marketing material in a, in a proportionate way, I think is really important. Um, you know, otherwise you're, you're not giving them a complete uh, picture. On the anti-greenwashing rule uh, specifically, I think one, you know, one kind of question that we have for the FCA is to what extent is this additional to the clear, fair and, and not misleading principle um, that 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 already applies, and and which FCA already have uh, enforcement powers, um, you know, to um, to opine on, and I think that's that's really important actually because w w what we don't want to do is end up with kind of very kind of layered regulation, um, which is which is an overreach um, in response to a, you know a legitimate risk, which could then create kind of problems down the line. So I think that's that's a question mark for us. I'm just slightly questioning how additional is that specific um, power that they would have with the integration rule compared to and um, the existing clear, fair, and monotonous leading principle which which already exists within their rules. Thank you very much, Sarah. And and I guess finally, um, what kind of changes are you expecting to see in the final rules um, that are to be published later this year? And and perhaps maybe on the more sort of optimistic side, what kind of changes ideally would like to, um, to be introduced? Sarah, maybe you first. Yeah, so I, I think a couple of things are, are quite important to us. I think the, the, the area actually, which I think the, the FCA really do need to revisit is this question of multi-asset funds. It's a significant 
portion of the kind of retail invested market. Um, and at present, the, the proposals just aren't aren't workable. Um, and and that's for you know one or two key reasons. Um, the the first one being around what do you consider the proportion of kind of sustainable assets within a fund? And uh, kind of necessarily um, in, in multi-asset funds and funds of fund structures, you'll end up allocating kind of to different asset classes, what we're kind of calling neutral asset classes, such as cash or cash-like instruments, which you can't put a sustainability kind of label on. And so that reduces then the availability of, of assets that you can designate to be sustainable to, to fit within this structure. So we, we really actually need to rethink um, the way we're thinking about um, multi-asset funds, um, because actually otherwise you're with, the proposals just don't serve a kind of significant proportion of, of the market. Um, so we, we, we're really hoping to see um, some new thinking, um, some new proposals there. We've touched a little bit on, on the marketing rules, um, um, which, which might be a, a little bit disproportionate in places. So some tweaks there to kind of think about how can firms continue to explain the sustainability credentials that they do have in a clear, fair and not misleading way, proportionate and balanced way, um, even when they're not um, uh, you know, applying kind of for label eligibility. Some, some improvements um, around the improver fund category, I think it would be really important to see just a refinement, greater clarity, what's the overarching objective um, for this label um, will be really important. Um, and then again, more clarity around what does this mean in the context of um, a, an overseas fund regime um, and marketing rules for, for juris different jurisdictions. Um, that's particularly important um, for, um, for global firms who are operating with that global footprint as well. And I mean, overall, you know, it's a huge package and I think the FCA has, has actually done a, a huge job here to, you know, articulate a really robust set of proposals, which um, will, you know, ultimately better inform consumers. And, and that's a really um, important objective we, we need to bear in mind here. There have been some, some recent um, exchanges between the, the Treasury Select Committee in the UK and, and the FCA, kind of challenging some of the concepts around, you know, the enforcement powers that they have, um, you know, whether or not um, we're going to see a big change in the number of funds in the UK, which be marketed as sustainable in response to the proposals. Is that an issue in itself in terms of consumers' responses and reactions to, to any changes of labelling? So, you know, we might expect to see some changes in, in response to some of the challenge that is coming out there as well. Is there anything that you sort of wanted, even before the consultation, to have been included in that, and you felt that the FCA hasn't really sort of really spared either at the time or the attention or the focus on more overall? It's pretty comprehensive, actually. They, they've covered off a lot of bases. I think I think the only thing, and this comes back to actually to some of the points Kate was making earlier, is um, you know this needs to work for the way that people invest. Um, firms don't just invest in listed equity; they invest in a broad range of asset classes. And we need to be ensuring that we're thinking about sustainability through through that kind of real economy lens and and other asset classes in addition to the public equities. Yeah. No. Great. And, and Kate, obviously, I'm sure you'd have the flexibility point there, but what else would you like to see in the final rules? 
yeah I think I'd agree with everything that Sarah said actually in that and we've touched on a, a lot of things we'd like to see um over the course of this conversation I think the other area that we've maybe not discussed um and that we've asked for is just for more time and um, once the final rules uh, have been confirmed and um, before the uh, sustainable labour regime, the consumer facing disclosures and kind of the naming and marketing rules uh, come into effect. Um, we've suggested 24 months and um, I'm not sure if that would uh, be palatable for the SCA, but um, we'll see. And, and that's mainly just because we don't think 12 months is enough for existing firms to comply. And um, given kind of all the necessary changes that you might have to make, um, you know, client engagement may be needed, um, regulatory approval might be needed in some cases. Um, so where you're changing fund names or having to adjust your investments to meet the label criteria, that's not uh, kind of a quick process uh, and I think that does need to be acknowledged when um, kind of setting these deadlines uh, and then again we've already mentioned it but I, I think definitely the alignment interaction between SFDR and US regime particularly on marketing is um, Sarah said and what that means and kind of having tolerance around these areas uh, is definitely something that we'd uh, like a bit more kind of thought into or, or kind of um, information around. Yeah no great well, Sarah, Keith, thank you very much um, for being on this podcast and for sharing so honestly and candidly your thoughts. It's been really, really interesting. Um, I hope our listeners enjoyed the conversations um, and they found it uh, helpful and useful too. And for all the listeners, you can also sign up to the Financial Services Regulatory Newsletter to receive weekly updates and invites into your inbox. To stay up to date with upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. We'll be back with our next episode next month to talk about other exciting topics of the risk and regulatory world. Thank you again and goodbye.